All right, let's turn to Luke chapter 19. And we're going to be looking at verses 29 through 44. So the title is The King Who Brings Peace. We begin reading at verse 29. And it came to pass when he drew near Bethphage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, where as you enter you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, Why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, Because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, Why are you loosing the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus, and they threw their own clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. And he sent, and as he sent, as he went, excuse me, many spread their clothes on the road. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Verse 41, now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you and surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. So this is the day in which Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem and is acknowledged as the king by his disciples. Not nationally, but by his disciples. And this is something we see became very troubling to the Pharisees. But this is a significant day. It's the day that was appointed by the prophets that the king would come. If you're familiar with the Gospels as you read through, you're immediately struck by how different this day is. Because what we are used to seeing Jesus do is after a miracle, he tells them to go away and tell no one. It's called, the theological term for this is the messianic secret. Um, he was always telling people, don't tell them, because he wanted to be able to go to the next town and to the next village. But on this day, it's very different. He is actually taking part in fulfilling the prophecy, actively fulfilling the prophecy, that he would be acknowledged as king. And we'll read about that in just a moment. It's from Zechariah. But on this day, he is going to be acknowledged publicly and that prophecy in Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. 
To come on a donkey in ancient times was a one way, not the only way, but it was one way to communicate to the village, to the town, to the city that you're coming to is, I come in peace. So this is exactly what we're reading. This is exactly what Jesus said. This was a day that was meant for your peace. So that he comes on a donkey is a, a statement that it says, I'm coming for your peace. Now, if a general came into a town, um, again, one way to communicate that it was, uh, it was of dominance and power and it was meant to be a conquering uh, general, he would come on a white stallion. And it would communicate something very different to the people. We read in the book of Revelation that when Jesus comes back to this earth a second time, he's not coming on a donkey, he's coming on a horse. Because he's coming to judge the Antichrist. He's coming to judge um, the nations that have rebelled against him. But on this day, as Jesus was coming in, he was coming to give well, he's coming as their king. He was coming to give them um, peace. We read there in verses 35 and 36 that they took their clothes and they put it on the colt. And they took their clothes and they laid it on the ground. And this was simply a way to show reverence, worship, respect. It's to say that you, you, know, you are acknowledged and the fact that he came upon a colt is also significant because a king had a, um, his horse that he rode on that nobody else would ever ride on. And here's a colt that had never been broken, and yet when the Prince of Peace sat upon its back, it was, it was, it was you know, tame. It was willing to receive um, the king upon him. And nobody had ever ridden on this except for the king of kings and the Lord of lords. What a lucky little donkey, don't you think? And how about the family that got to provide that? I mean, I don't know. We don't have any account. But you've got to know that everybody in town knew whose donkey that was, right? When it was all said and done, Jesus had died on the cross and rose from the dead and ascended. You can hear the stories in the neighborhood. You know when Jesus came in? He rode on our, our, the, the, our colt, that little donkey. And, and they had this opportunity to participate in a very unique way. But what does Jesus tell the disciples to tell the family who has this colt when they go up and they begin to loose the colt and take it? It's the first account of donkey jacking in the Bible, by the way. Um, it's hard when nobody laughs. Honey, thanks for laughing. And it's, it's nice that you laugh for me. We, should, we need to get a laugh track. Can't we get laugh tracks or something like that? That would make me feel so much better. Not that you guys laugh at my jokes when you're here anyway, but yeah, so they take the donkey, but when they come, they say, well, what are you doing? This is the Lord has what? Need of him. And, and here's this interesting thing. The God of the universe who has all things available to him at any moment could speak anything into existence, comes to us and says, I have need of you. That, that's kind of an interesting concept, isn't it? Does God really need anything from us to be God? 
to be self-sufficient? No, he doesn't. But in his self-sufficiency, in his omnipotence, in his sovereignty, he chooses to work in our lives and allow us to take part in what's going on. I have need of you. I have need of the things that you have need of, that I've given you anyway. It reminds me of when my kids were small and they would help with the chores around the house. It's not really help, is it? I mean, when, when Tyler would first want to start getting out there and helping me mow the yard, that was not helpful. A lot of things got broken. Um, you know, it was more work, but we loved doing that. We loved to have them involved with us. And of course, it pays off later. I do miss them. I told my daughter last night, told Whitney last night, I really miss you guys. We're doing, a, like probably a lot of people, we're doing a lot of work around the house. It's like, I miss you and all, all the chores. I miss my workforce. She goes, thanks, Dad. Thanks. That, that's meaningful. Um, so, you know, it did pay off later. But the Lord doesn't need that payoff. He just welcomes us into the process. We get to serve the Lord. It's like, well, if I don't serve him, then the Lord's going to be in desperate. No, he's not going to be desperate. We get to participate. And this family, they did the right thing. And they said, well, if Lord, and clearly, clearly that was enough. That they knew that if they said the Lord needed it, that that's all that needed to be stated. Master needs it. The one over my life needs it. And they yielded. So they, 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 he comes, they get the donkey, he gets on top of the donkey, they lay their clothes down out of a respect, uh, um, out, of, out of respect to him. Now in another account, like we could read in John's account, that they also laid palm branches down. That's why we call it Palm Sunday, right? So or, or the triumphal entry Sunday. But Palm Sunday, why palm branches? Palm branches have nothing to do with the feast that's going on right now of unleavened bread or Passover. There's, there's no connection there. That has to do with which feast? The Feast of Tabernacles. That's when they would make the lean-tos and they would put the palm branches in and stuff. So why palm branches at the Passover? Because there is no connection. In every, if this would have been the Feast of Tabernacles, it would have made perfect sense that there were palm branches. So why are there palm branches that are being laid down? And again, you can read in some of these other accounts. And the basic idea is this, is that palm branches came to be associated with um, throwing off the power of Rome. Insurrection. Um, and when they would mint their coins, they would put often a palm tree on it. And you know, one occasion, it was to uh, commemorate uh, the days of the Maccabeans, and when they had victory um, uh, over the, the, the powers, Antiochus and, and, and the, those Syrian forces, or when Simon had victory over the Syrians in 141. So these, these coins had the palm branches, which was a way of saying, we want to be liberated. And so as one author says, in the present event, event people's waving of palm branches may signal nationalistic hopes that in Jesus, a messianic liberator had arrived. It, 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 was, it would have been electric. It would have been, it would have been all kinds of, what's going on? Why the palm branches? And then you hear them saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
And they're worshiping Jesus as king. And he's upon a donkey. And the clothes are being laid down. And the palm branches are. It would have been a significant event. And in verses 37 and 38, back there in Luke 19, we see that they are, they're worshiping him for all the great things. That, and you've got to note in the middle of verse 37, the multitude of his disciples. It's not all of Israel that's worshiping him. It's the multitude of his disciples. But in Matthew 21.10, we read, And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? The disciples declared who he was, but the rest of the city was fully aware that something significant was going on, saying, Well, who is this? People from all over uh, the Roman Empire had come in. Some of them, for the first time, they were seeing and hearing of Jesus, and they're like, Who is this? Um, Josephus, uh, a Jewish historian, says that at this time there could have been as many as 2.7 million worshipers. Now, other historians say that is an overinflated number. Okay, we, we don't know. But let's say it is an overinflated number. You get the idea of what he's trying to say. This city is jam-packed with people. And it's not just a, a couple of thousand here or there. It is hundreds of thousands of people, maybe millions of people. The whole city is buzzing with who this person is that the disciples are making such a big deal over. Palm branches. Is he going to liberate? Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. So Jesus, is he comes as a king, and in verses 37 and 38, he is worshipped as a king. This is something they were expecting. They're, this is from uh, the Psalms, a messianic psalm that looked forward to when the Lord would send his king to take it into Jerusalem. This, this phrase, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. This was a well-known greeting that the worshipers would share with one another as they were welcoming each other as the pilgrims were making their way. This would have been a common greeting. Blessed is a king who comes in the name of the Lord. Maybe this year he comes in the name of the Lord. The king is going to come someday. But on this day, the king actually came. He was there in their midst, and the whole city was stirred up. Well, it's not the significance of this day is not lost on his disciples. The whole city is being asked, but how about the religious leaders? And we see there in verse 39 that the Pharisees called to Jesus from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Now, we know they're, 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 they're crying out with loud voices, right? Verse 37 tells us um, uh, they began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty, mighty works they had seen. Blessed is the king. So their people are just at the top of their lungs. They're not reserved. And the Pharisees called to him from the crowd. Now, it doesn't say it, but I just like to think that they had to ask him like five times. I'm sorry, I can't hear you. Because they're saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I can't hear you because they're, 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 they're shouting out all the miracles that I performed. Did you hear about the guy down in Jericho that had his eyesight healed? I, what is that you said? I mean, they are yelling to get over the top of the crowd that is yelling and rejoicing in Jesus. The, mul the multitude of the disciples 
are making, um, they're making noise over their king and over the Lord. And this troubles the Pharisees. He says, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus, oh, I, I got you. Rebuke my disciples. No, nah, I'm not going to do that. I, but I tell you what, if they were quiet, these very stones would cry out. Why is that? Because one way or another, on this day, Jesus was going to be held as the king of the Jews as he walked into the town. Now again, nationally, they will miss that. And Jesus says to them, and he weeps over them in verse 41, because they're going to miss it, as he says in verse 42, this was a special day for you. And it is Israel's special day. It was a special day, and you have missed it. I wanted to give you peace. Nationally, they were under occupied power and occupied power in Rome. Individually, they needed the peace that the Messiah would bring to them. And he says, oh, if you had known, which tells us this, they could have known. He expected that they would know. He says, but now they are hidden from their eyes. At the end of verse 42, previously, they were not hidden from their eyes. It wasn't hidden from their eyes. Jesus said the stones would cry out. When we look at an, an Old Testament prophecy of Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, I'm not going to get into it this morning, but um, you can go onto the website, um, our website, look it up. You can read, uh, read, read it on your own, study it your own, and follow along in the study there. But in Daniel 9, verses 24 through 27, the prophet tells us that um, 483 years after a decree would be issued, which is in the days of Nehemiah, that they should re restore and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, that the Messiah would come and that he would be cut off. 483 years earlier, that prophecy had been given. I think that's what Jesus is referring to that was seeable, that was knowable. The, the prophet said, I would come on this day. I have come. It's your special day, and you should have known it, but now it is hidden from your eyes. That's pretty amazing. On this triumphal entry day, the prophet had declared that the Messiah would come, and shortly after that, Indeed, Jesus is going to be cut off. He's going to go to the cross and he is going to die. How amazing this prophecy is and how they should have known it, how they should have seen it. It was there for them, and yet they didn't. At the end of verse 42, we see that this day was a day that was meant for their peace. They had been waiting for the Messiah. We can even go back um, to the Genesis the very first prophecy uttered in Scripture. And that is that the, the seed of the woman would come and would crush the head of the serpent. That salvation would be provided. It's finally come. Peace. Peace for them as a nation, but peace between them and the Lord. That that animosity, that enmity would be taken away. And he has come to bring that to them. The purpose of Jesus' coming was to bring peace. Luke 1, chapter 1, verses 77 through 79 read, To give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. Through the tender mercy of our God, 
with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace, to give light, to give remission of sin, to provide salvation, all of which is to guide us into peace. Or in Acts 10.36, it says, The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. And there is only one name by which peace can be given to mankind. And it's, it's peace. It's not even, it's not even the, the word that says, Coronavirus 19 is done. That's, that, will, that will bring a level of temporary peace. But that peace can easily be upset by another set uh, another news cycle that brings bad news. But this peace, Jesus said, the peace I give to you, it's not like what the world gives. It's different. It's unique. And as Jesus came offering peace to Israel, he offers mankind to this very day peace. Now, it was hidden from their eyes nationally, but we do need to rejoice at what God is doing in the nation of Israel. There are more Jews coming to faith and believing in Messiah than at any time you know, in the last 2,000 years, since the day of Pentecost, probably. More of them are coming to faith and believing in Jesus. So although nationally they don't recognize him, it's not to say that Jews are not finding the Prince of Peace. They are, and in greater numbers, particularly since 1948 when they came back into the land. God is is working in them. I think all of this tells us that we're moving towards that final consummation of all things. But he offers all of mankind peace. Peace, that rest, that inner calm in your spirit that you are right with God. That there's not a, um, a war that goes on. Because the Bible tells us that our sins have separated us from God. And that our sins have created enmity between us and God. This is why God poured out his wrath upon his son in his body as he hung upon the cross. <laughs> what does God think about sin? Look at the cross. All you have to do is to look at the cross. Well, I just don't think that God's going to judge sin. Then how do you explain the cross? How do you explain? God the Father sending His Son and giving His Son a body for the sole purpose that that body could be hung to the cross and could be the wrath of God could be poured out upon that so that we could have peace. He offers peace, but it's only in the name of Jesus that you can find peace. This is a special day indeed, a day that is meant for peace. I pray that you know this peace. I pray that you know that rest that comes. It says, I'm right with God. A rest that comes that says, not only am I right with God and my eternity is secure, but it's a rest that comes in the midst of chaos. I, I, I know that we all have different experiences that are going on right now, but we should be walking in peace. As children of God, the Prince of Peace has come. Does that mean everything's going to turn out great and nobody's going to have any kind of hardship or difficulty. It doesn't mean that. But it means even in those circumstances that the Prince of Peace will be there and that he will work and he will move and he will accomplish the good things that he wants to even in the hard times. Man was created by God to have this single purpose of fellowship with him. Jesus came to them. He's coming into their midst They reject him, 
but you don't need to reject him. I would encourage you to, to welcome him into your life and as he makes his way and as he stirs in your heart. Now, that's not what happened. And what the Lord says is that these things are going to be hidden from their eyes. But Scripture does tell us that this blindness, this hiddenness of uh, who Jesus is would be only for a time. In Romans chapter 11, verses 25 through 27, it says that the blindness that has come upon Israel is only in part until God is finished working among the non-Jewish people. And at that time, he will begin to reach and draw them to himself during the Great Tribulation. And that's nationally when they'll come to that identity. But for the nation of Israel, as the Lord knows they're rejecting him, he announces in verses 43 and 44 that they're going to miss out on the peace that he wants to give them. And that they're going to experience destruction instead of peace. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you. So this prophecy of the destruction of, Je- uh, of Jerusalem was one of Jesus's, it's among his last prophecies. And he says that they are going to be destroyed. This is 33 AD. And at this point in time, the city had never looked better. The temple had never looked better. The whole area had been beautified. They were under Roman occupation, but they, the Romans were very proud of their building projects in, this, in, in Jerusalem. And so it never looked better, but Jesus says not one stone is going to be standing upon another. And 37 years later, this prophecy was fulfilled. As Titus, the Roman general, came in in 70 AD, he finally broke through and destroyed the city of Jerusalem. Even to this very day, when you go to Jerusalem, you can see the stones that were pushed off the Temple Mount. You can visit homes that they have found in archaeological discoveries where everything is charred and burned. You can see the destruction that happened from this time. And the Lord came to bring them peace, but they didn't want the Prince of Peace. And he says, well, now you're going to experience Hard days. You're going to experience destruction. And look at verse 44, the end of verse 44. Because you did not know the time of your visitation. So again, they should have been aware. And now you're aware. And now you know. You know even more than they knew. You know that Jesus has come, that he died, that he rose from the dead, and that he is coming back again. You need to follow him. You need to yield to him. There was an urgency in this hour to receive him as king and to receive that peace, and they were too busy. They had their own agenda. They had their own scheme. They had their own worldview. They had their own plans, and Jesus did not fit into their plans. And so they rejected him. And in rejecting him, they rejected the peace and the grace that he wanted to bring into their life. There is always an urgency when you have the opportunity to get right with the Lord. If you're listening this morning and you have yet to give your life to Jesus Christ, know the time of your visitation. If you have this awareness, Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Savior, and I need to follow him. Don't say, but. 
and give all the reasons why you can't do it now and why it's not a convenient time for you. Uh, Felix and Drusilla, when the uh, Apostle Paul preached the gospel to them there in Caesarea, and as they heard and as they were convicted that Jesus indeed was the Messiah and they needed to repent of their sin and turn to him and, and, and receive salvation, it says that they sent Paul away looking for a more convenient time. That convenient time never came. We know that Drusilla ended up dying in a volcanic eruption, you know, in an instant. She, there's no record that either one of these individuals ever came back and put their faith and trust in the Lord. When the Lord moves upon your heart, it is a, a moment of urgency. If you know that Jesus is the Messiah and you cannot have salvation apart from him, and yet you have not come, hear what Scripture says. Isaiah 55 verse 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. He was near in Jerusalem. He could be found in Jerusalem. But after this day, as they rejected him, things were going to be hidden. They needed to respond. It was an urgent moment. In John chapter 12, verses 35 and 36, we read, Then Jesus said to them a little while longer, uh, The light is with you. That's a reference to him. While, walk while the, you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, hear the temporary nature of this. Believe in the light, that you may become sons of the light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. Jesus himself said there is a time to believe. And the time to believe is when you see the truth. And not delay. I'll get right with the Lord later. I'll give me a little more time. When I get older, I'll do it. I should have done it when I was younger. It's too late. No, today is the day. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2 uh, in particular says, For he says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. That was never truer than for, for Israel than on this day, on Palm Sunday. A time of visitation that was meant for their peace. And they walked on by. You know, you may be a believer in an application point. You said, well, I've already received Christ. But okay, has the Lord been coming to your life? And has he been instructing you and been giving you wisdom on how to live your life and how to serve him and, and, and what to do? And yet you keep on delaying. You keep looking for the more convenient time. Okay, you believe in him. That's great. But we are to be servants that obey the king. Don't look for a more convenient time. Now is the time. Right now is the day to say, all right, I'm done with lesser things. I know the truth. I'm a daughter of the king. I'm a son of the light. Why am I wasting my time? And feel um, the spirit drawing you in and do not resist. Now, if you're not a believer, then you need to confess Jesus Christ as your Savior. You need to acknowledge that you are a sinner and that you need him to save you. He came to save them. You know, we don't read it in the account by Luke, but in Matthew and in Mark, um, I'm not sure about John, but it says, um, it refers to the Lord as Hosanna, which that's a Hebrew word, which means save now, save us now. And so as they were coming in, 
they were, they were shouting, you know, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What they were saying was, save now. Jesus, I mean, can you feel that? He's walking into the city and his disciples are like, save us now. The palm branches are going down. They're declaring the miracles of healing and resurrection and uh, giving sight and you know, releasing from the demons. And they're like, save now. The disciples know who he is and they're like, do it. Do it now. And I think all of us kind of have that same kind of feeling of like, Lord, oh, come back now, Lord. Save now. And if you are not ready to meet the Lord, then you need to come and experience that forgiveness of sin, that you might have this peace, that you might have that right standing with the Lord. It is a special day every single time Jesus comes to somebody and says, here I am, the King, the Prince of Peace. A special every time he comes, stretching out his hand to save. And Jesus said, you should do it while you see the light, lest the darkness overtake you. Oh, later, later. You don't know that there's later. You don't know that the light that you see will be seen tomorrow. The light that you see today may be nothing but darkness to you tomorrow because it is God's grace and his sovereign move upon your heart and life to open your eyes to see that Jesus is the Savior. It's not because you're so smart spiritually. It's because God is is drawing you. You don't need to wait. You don't need to hesitate. Now, I, I realize that many of you, most of you that are watching, you're already, you already have Jesus as your Savior. Well, this is what I want you to do. Share this message with as many people as you can that don't know the Lord and invite them to receive Christ as their Savior. Be evangelistic today. This is the day that Jesus came and he's coming to people's lives. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. And we're going to begin to have a little discussion and invite the panel as I pray to kind of make their way up here. And we're going to have a Q&A and we'll receive some of your questions. You can start sending them in as well. But let me just pray and give you an opportunity that need to receive Christ as your Savior at this time. Oh Lord, we thank you for your peace. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that you have sent your Son to this world and to die on the cross for us. Oh Lord, where would we be without you? Where would we be without this salvation? And Lord, we received him as our Savior, but we want to continue to receive his voice, his guidance, his kingly leadership over and over into our lives. We pray that you would work in us to yield more and more to you. Well, Lord, we pray for those that don't know that they would be overwhelmed by your kindness and your grace and your mercy this morning. They would they'd turn from their sin. they make that confession. And you can do that. If you Right here, right now, you can just pray and say, Lord, I need to be forgiven and I need peace. And that simplicity of your call, the Lord will hear you and he will answer you and you will enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we encourage you to do that right now. Amen. All right, well, this is uh, the panel. We're going to work through some questions that I've put together. And then as your questions come in, uh, the guys at the back will be sending up a text to me. And we'll take as many of those as we possibly can. But um, 
We've got Dave Genter uh, over here. We've got Jean Jackson. We've got my wife, Rebecca, Melissa, and Jason. And so these are the ones that are going to help work through the questions. So as it relates to our Bible study that I just gave, how did you receive Jesus as king over your life? So Jesus was coming as king to Jerusalem. Uh, the disciples obviously acknowledged him. But what was the process in yours? How, how, did, how do you give your life to Jesus today? I mean, how did you become a follower of Jesus? Anybody want to talk about that? Yeah. So I grew up in church, was raised in the church, and um, you know, was kind of told I asked Jesus into my heart when I was five years old, and I kind of grew up holding on to that. But um, I would say in my 20s, when I started to come to church here, um, it was kind of a different conversation. You know, what is the relationship that you have with the Lord? What's your prayer life like? Mm. Do you understand mercy and grace? And then I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> maybe I can't hold on to that, getting saved when I was five years old. So just really taking a look at, do I have a relationship? Do I know him? Mm. Do I have a conversation with him? So it was kind of an eye-opener then to say, uh-oh, I think I need to get my life right and yeah. kind of do it for myself as opposed to what I was told. Okay. All right. Praise the Lord. Awesome. I'd say for me, um, I was raised a Catholic as a young boy, and I remember the Lord revealing himself to me as a young child saying, why, why do I need to go talk to somebody else if I did something wrong? Why can't I talk to God? And I remember asking my dad that question, and, uh, and as a, a normal Catholic, they said, well, it's because of what you're supposed to do. And, but the God had gotten my heart at that time mm. uh, as a young boy. And it wasn't until I was 17 where he really got a hold of my life. And I kind of like Melissa, you know, realized that I was, you know, so far short of everything that I needed in my life and, and that he revealed himself to me and I was able to turn my life over to him. That's awesome. Awesome. Anybody else? Uh, for me, it was, it was as easy as just crying out to the Lord. I mean, just saying, Lord, I need you in my life. I need you. I, you know, and, and uh, and that was it. <laughs> you know, I can relate to the thief on the cross on that level where, you know, uh, one is on each side of Jesus and he just very simply just says, Lord, will you remember me? I, I, I need you. Mm -hmm. And that was it. And the Lord said yes. And he said yes to me. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I was I was born and raised in church and well, not born in the church. <laughs> <laughs> Your mom's like, no, you weren't. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I always surrounded by God and godly things, made some mistakes as I got a little bit older. And then as it really at the point of getting married, I started right before that, starting to realize that this relate, just like a marriage, there's a relationship thing. And I really was missing that. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, really confined to rules and being a good person. But when I started to realize that relationship that we walk with Christ, that changed the world. So, okay. Well, Rebecca, what does it mean to have Jesus as Lord or King over your life? Well, it means really that he's in charge, right? That I am under him, that he is um, ruling and reigning um, over my life. That he has my heart, he has my will, he has um, the authority to dictate 
Um, though he's not a dictator, he's a loving father, a loving good king that I follow willingly. Um, but he is the one who I follow. Mm. Um, I'm his disciple, and I follow him in his lead. And he gets to trump everything else, yeah. <laughs> really, in, a, in uh, simply. Okay. Yeah. All right. Anybody else want to chime in on what it means to have Jesus as Lord or King? Yeah, I mean, okay. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I feel like I would just elaborate on what she already said, but the, the whole idea of authority is uh, comes into play there, that God has authority over my life. Um, and that's a good thing. It's a good thing that a loving God um, would have authority over my life. Mm. You know, and it's amazing, too, if you want to think about the fact that we're talking about God, creator God, who already has all authority. Right. He has all authority, he has all power, but he never comes to a person like me or you and forces himself. Right. He waits, he says, he extends his love, even as you were speaking, I was thinking of that song that's um, an old one from Malcolm and the Mirrors way back when, and it said, you know, here I am asking you, do you want my love? And that's who Jesus is. That's the king. And so that's who we follow. That's who we're, we're submitted to. That's who gets to be Lord. Mm -hmm. I mean, he doesn't have to do anything, but um, he waits for us. You know, he could take that authority. He could come and just be, I'm God. And, you know, he has that power. But in my own heart and life, mm -hmm. he waits for me. Yeah. So. so maybe this, just following up, same question. But what are the benefits of having a Lord and a king? Mm -hmm. A comfort and a safety. Um, you know, the pressure's taken off of me <laughs> because yeah. there's somebody else in charge, and I just have to let him do what he wants to do. Yeah, I love that part of of the Lord's kingship. Yeah, it, it also just gives me a peace to know that I don't have to be thinking about this every little possible detail of my life, I can go to the Lord and ask for him to give me guidance and I have complete peace and trust in him that he'll, he knows what's best for me and he's going to tell me what's best for me. Yeah. I, I am constantly trying to convince my children of that. Is I'm watching out for your best yeah. interest. I am trying to take care of you. And, you know, it's hard for us to relate to Lord today, but I think if we, you know, we can parallel this with being a parent and if for the kids just... You don't need to strive. You don't need to work so hard. It's I'm not going to give you breakfast because you earned it. You know, I'm going to give you breakfast because I love you. You know, and that realization, if we apply that to our walk with Christ, he loves us. He's going to take care of us. He's going to provide for us and give us good gifts. <laughs> yeah, in the, in the Christian life, there is a correlation between authority and love. You know, sometimes in... in, in if we can call them authoritative relationships, they don't operate that way, do they? They they operate out of, well, you need to do these things or else, or I have to meet this standard of whatever. Here's a mandate, here's a ban. Yes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But it's not like that with the Lord. It's like Gene said, <laughs> the, the breakfast analogy. Mm -hmm. It's a good one. Yeah, that's a great point. Okay, so this next question um, says, ask the question, do you feel having a Lord over your life minimizes, limits, or impedes you. So in our society today, uh, it's the idea of my desires, my wants, um, my uh, perceptions of who I am. Um, nobody should be able to speak against them. Whatever I say, 
is exactly the way it should be. So to the person who maybe is thinking like that, do you feel having a Lord or a King over your life minimizes, limits, or impedes, or has some other negative impact upon your life? I'd say no. Um, I mean, God gives every single one of us gifts and talents of what he wants us to do. Um, we may not know that's what he wants to do yet, especially if we're not saved. We think that, oh, this is something I've done of my own. I've earned this. I've created this in my life. But in reality, God has given you that gift. And so once you become a, a Christian, you see how God wants to use that gift um, to be for his kingdom. Yeah. And, and, you know, and for the brothers and sisters that you serve with and love on. And um, I think it's just so much better for me, I can say, things I thought I could do on my own is now I realize I'm doing it for the Lord. And so the reward is so much better um, for myself and as well as, you know, I've heard before where if God's giving you a gifting and you're not using it, then you're ripping off the body because he's given you that gift to share with the body of Christ. And so I look at that for myself, and I want to encourage everybody else too. If, if you have a gifting, to use that gift. Don't be shy. It, does not, it doesn't impede you when you become a Christian. It actually it amplifies that. Yeah. You get to use it for you, him. You get a clear direction, and then, then it, it just bursts you know, wide open to be used in, in ways. So, yeah, the Lord is Absolutely. not wanting us to be mindless individuals that are just kind of robotically... Yeah waiting for the next commandment to come down from, you know, headquarters to obey it. That's not the way the relationship works. I think if you keep in mind, like, we were bought with such a great mm. price. Um, even just thinking of, like, a marriage relationship. If Jason does something nice for me, like, I want to do something even nicer for him. You know, it just comes naturally out of love. And if I'm thinking, wow, what a huge price he paid, yeah. then no, there is no, like, negative um, effect of thinking of a Lord over my life. Like, oh my gosh, I love you so much. I want to do whatever. Yeah. 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 It's, it's kind of a, a paradox that we would have a Lord over our lives and we see that as limiting, but there are laws and rules that can limit us, but there are also laws and rules that are freeing. You know, something as simple as a traffic light is a, a literal stop, but it, it frees us to navigate it's, it's it's a silly analogy but you know the lord being lord over our lives is is not a limiting thing mm -hmm. you know whom the son sets free mm -hmm. is free indeed yeah. you know he's come to give us that abundant life yeah and um and it's a law of love it right is. that's written on our hearts yeah. that compels us to do the things that we do as followers of jesus christ so even in some of your testimonies the idea of rules and regulations and I've got to do this or God's not going to be happy. That's not Christianity. That's, that's something else, but it's not Christianity. The Lord wants us to feel, to experience his love and then be compelled to follow and obey him you know, in that love. So. And I think there's a lot of safety in that too. There's a safety in the fact that you have a God who knows all things, mm. has created all things and created me with all of my, giftings and desires and whatever and far from impeding those things they are fulfilled in the lord i mean they're fulfilled in christ and because of who he is um there's there's safety there for me to follow where he tells me to go where he's leading me i can trust in that love and i can follow and and obey even if it feels a little constricting at times or if we're we're thinking oh is that impeding no that's safe for you it's just like with our children. Again, I mean, it's such a great um, uh, analogy with children is to think about how we are with our own kids. Of course, we give parameters to children. 
It's for their good. It's yeah. to keep them protected. And so it's the same thing with the Lord. And if we want to kick against something that he's putting in our lives, then we, we are kicking against something that's for our good. Because he's a perfect father. He's good. He knows all things. And he's like, look, if you put this gift or these things and these desires and you submit them to this and, and these parameters, oh, it's going to be the most beautiful because he's the one that gave it in the first place. So he knows how it's supposed to operate. So there's a great safety in that lordship, too. I'll tell you what, why don't we break a little bit from these questions, and we've had quite a few questions come in from you all. So the, the first one is a really hard question. It says, if Israel had accepted Jesus like they were supposed to, what would have happened? So um, <laughs> the hard part is, not only were they given a legitimate offer of salvation and the kingdom, um, we also know that they were going to reject him. Isaiah 53 tells us that they were going to reject him. Um, Psalm 22 talks about how they were going to reject him. So it's a really hard question, the, you know, the kind of the what if question, because the Lord in his sovereignty made a legitimate offer of the kingdom and salvation through his son that was meaningful and real. And yet he knew what they would do. So in that sense, because God knew what they were going to do, there is no other possibility, if that makes sense. So um, I don't know if you wanted to explore that beyond and say, yeah, but what if they had? I, I don't know how to reconcile that. I don't know how to reconcile that with the rest of Scripture because we have a clear, a distinct offering of salvation and a clear statement that it would be rejected. And these come from God, not human speculation. So it really is a challenging question of the sovereignty of God and the free will of man and how these go together. So um, I just would say, great question. If you figure it out, let me know. <laughs> the next question is, can you explain the difference between the government of man and the kingdom of God? So that's a good question. It's just a real practical. What is the difference between modern-day government and the kingdom of God? Which I think it's interesting. I'll, I'll let some of you guys answer this. But in years past, um, many you know, um, in the church didn't see a distinction between the two. Right. Um, you know, so you had these kings, and they viewed themselves as a King David that was going to go out and conquer in the name of the Lord. And just like the Israelites were told to go and drive out the inhabitants of the land and those that didn't believe, uh, they made conquests and they made um, um, war against other nations um, and they believed they were functioning as the kingdom of God in the government that they had. They, so they, they took kind of a theocratic uh, approach to governing but that was for the nation of Israel. That is not for other nations. But, but just practically, maybe not even going quite that deep there, what is the difference between the United States government and the kingdom of God? I'm hoping there's a big difference. Yeah. <laughs> right. that, that's kind of what I was going to say. Is you know, I don't mean my answer to be overly simplistic, but one is something that we thought up and frequently mess up, and the other is, is perfect. So um, the kingdom of God has existed throughout different structures and styles and ages of human government and has endured 
those things. Mm-hmm. So um, the difference is, it, you know, the, the Lord is Lord over our lives. And everything else that we think up, uh, <laughs> we, we, can, we can walk through that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Any other thoughts on that? Let me ask this question. What is the kingdom of God? Why don't we start right there? What is the kingdom of God? Anywhere where God has authority, anywhere yeah. where Jesus is recognized as having authority and is submitted to, and um, our nation supposedly under God, right, as we, we say, um, I don't think nationally is under God, um, but so I, the kingdom of God is wherever, you know, the Lord is king and where he's ruling and reigning, and so earthly governments are earthly governments, they're just that. And while God is still sovereign, man has been given authority to do what they do on earth. And they have a brain and a mind, and they're either submitted to the Lord and act accordingly, or they're not. And so wherever the Lord is king is where he is governing, right? Yeah. So that's the kingdom of God. But on earth, we are told, even in the scriptures, though, that we are to submit to that. I don't know if yeah. we want to go into that part, too. But the mm-hmm. word of God does tell us to submit to the authorities. Um, so there's that as well. Okay. Yeah, wherever the kingdom of God, or wherever the authority and lordship of Jesus is recognized, that's the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God is there, and it's there, and it's there, and it's here, and here, and here. And if you believe in Jesus, then it's right there. The kingdom of God has come, and it is ruling and reigning over your heart and your life. The only time we're going to see the kingdom of God and a government on earth unite is going to be when Jesus returns at his second coming. And the kingdom of God ruling upon the earth through a governmental, um, uh, through government is going to be the first time that we will see that. Mm -hmm. I got a lot of questions coming in here. Um, So, uh, was Israel as a nation blinded by God in this instance to allow for the Gentiles to know him? Would circumstances have changed if Israel had recognized Jesus as uh, as the Messiah at that point? So similar to that first question. But why don't we pick up that that one element that's maybe a little bit different. Was Israel as a nation blinded by God in this instance? So this instance, I'm referring to this, is on the triumphal entry. Well, Jesus said that, right? He said, you should have known this was your day, but now that you don't, from now on, you're going to be blinded from that. So then at that moment, mm -hmm, as as you taught, right? Yeah, so at that moment, they mm-hmm. could see. Mm-hmm. They should have seen. Mm-hmm. It was expected that they right. would see. Right. Especially with the, uh, what you gave out of the book of Daniel, the prophecy of the years. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think they would have been watching and counting down that time. Like, okay, this is when it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're off by a week or two, but hey, look for the sign. And all of a sudden, this person is coming in, and everybody's hailing him as the king. So, it's, yeah. They, yeah, they missed it. And I, one of the things, too, just in regards to that, that question that sort of duplicated just again mm-hmm. about the Gentiles and everything, or well, about the Jews being blinded, how would that have affected? Obviously, it's hypothetical, but, but the Jews were given as a light to the nations, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, God was showing who he was. So, so, you know, if they had maybe received him, which, of course, we knew they wouldn't, God sure. knew that it's not that can't be changed. But if they had, they would have been still a light to the nations. And so hopefully then the Gentiles would have been able to become a part of that as well. I mean, I think there would just been more Jews in heaven, more more who have had actually seen the, the Messiah, I yeah. guess, if you want to 
sort of look at it that way. They're, they've always been given as a light to the nations, right? I mean, God's like, they're going to be my special yeah. people. I want people to know that there's a God in Israel that's over and over in the Old Testament. So that was the purpose. So, And, and I think this idea says, you know, um, was Israel as a nation blinded by God in this instance to allow for the Gentiles to know him? And I think just a straight answer is no, not in that instance. They became blinded. Um, and the salvation that was being offered with, was withdrawn um, in a national sense um, for them to see. But Romans 11, verses 25 and 26 tells us that one day their eyes will be opened again and a spirit of supplication will be poured out upon them and they will say exactly what the disciples were saying on that day, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Actually, in Luke 13, I think it's verse 35, it says, Jesus said, you will see me no more until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So, um, no, I don't believe they were blinded at that point. Um, now that they are blinded, certainly the gospel is going out among the Gentiles. But I don't believe that he blinded Israel to give opportunity for the Gentiles. His, uh, his overall plan was that Israel would be a light to the Gentiles. Um, here's a, a question just in general about prophecy. It says, I hear many people making different prophecies for the upcoming days, and they prophesy in Jesus' name saying, God showed them. Should I believe these different prophecies made by people or not? I really wish I knew exactly what some of those were. Um, so we might need to answer that, you know, in a qualifying way. So can, can somebody want to take that question and begin to answer that? Um. Here's, here's what I would say to that is the Lord has already given us his word. Mm -hmm. You know, Peter says we've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. This is, this is complete, Amen. right? This is, this is complete. And if you really want to know what the word of God has to say, read it 10 times. You know, when I was an English teacher, it's what I told my students. Read it. Read it again. Read it again. And the Lord has made himself perfectly clear in this so should i be listening to what these other prophecies i i think i don't know man i think it's kind of dangerous to say thus saith the lord about this if it doesn't come from here because the lord has already thus said right here and right so i i always temper what someone says to that effect with what does the word say what does the word say you and know i, I saw a pastor just this week uh in the name of jesus um, eliminate coronavirus from the face of the world. <laughs> yeah, and then I woke up did this work? morning. No, it did not oh, work. Okay. Yeah, it's still here. Still, still here. And okay. it's still, uh, you know, um, so, you know, I don't know if that text is referring to, to that kind of thing. I imagine that it is, but you know that those things have have come and go and and been done before, mm -hmm. unfortunately. Yeah, I think it's important to also clarify a difference between somebody just making a statement such as. It really seems like these times are da 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 da. Right. That's True. one thing. That's not prophetic. But when somebody says thus That's says the Lord. That's a pondering, not yeah. a That's prophecy. Right. <laughs> and so you don't want to discount somebody because they're pondering. But if somebody's making a prophetic statement of saying this is what's going to happen, well, you test a prophet by their words. And if, if they're wrong on any one thing, you discount everything they say. It's as simple as that. That's biblical. First Thessalonians 5 gives a specific instruction. It says, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Mm -hmm. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. 
So very simple instruction. Everybody who says they're a prophet is a prophet or a prophetess. And um, it must never disagree with the word of God. If it goes outside of that, it's flatly rejected. If they make a, a prophecy of forthcoming things, then we stand back and we test it. And we wait and see if it happens. And if it doesn't happen, then they need to be corrected. So, and just on yeah. a super simple level, too. Okay, Lord, show me. Well, you know, that's, that's it, great. Yeah. You showed yes. this person that. Show me, too. Absolutely. Yeah, because people will like to try and manipulate, yes. you know. So, good question. Um, let's see, where are we? So this one is about Matthew 7, 21 through 23. And it reads, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So here's the question. How is it that someone could perform these works and yet not know God? That's pretty amazing. It is, a, I mean, that somebody could have those types of experiences. But I just give one, one example. Judas. Judas did all of these things. He cast out demons. He healed the sick. He watched people. He watched the Lord raise people from the dead. He had the power of God working in his life as he, like all the other disciples, and yet he never really knew the Lord. So, um, yeah, people can get close to the, the kingdom. They can be involved in the, um, the workings of the kingdom, um, they could be a full-time pastor and yet never truly be connected with the Lord. So I think it's, it's so important that we, we take the time to examine ourselves and make sure that I really am in the faith. Um, let's see. So for those who struggle with anxiety, how do we keep that peace that Christ came to bring us Reigning in our hearts and homes. Love the question. Really practical question. Um, so what are some thoughts? Yeah, uh, first of all, kudos to the person for having the boldness to ask that question. I've dealt with anxiety in my life. And for a period of my life, I was riddled and crippled uh, by anxiety. And um, the Bible definitely speaks to that. Um, if you read through the Psalms, you see a man who is struggling emotionally. He's struggling mentally. He's struggling even in his body um, just with the things that he went through and some of the decisions that he made willingly. Um, and I'm talking specifically about David. There were other psalmists. But mm -hmm. um, how do we let the peace of God reign in our lives? How was the question worded? It says, how do we uh, keep that peace that Christ came to bring us reigning in our hearts and homes. Yeah. I would say make it a priority to cry out to him. Mm -hmm. You know, cry out to the Lord and, and let him know that he knows already, but there's something really special about a, um, a physical surrender to the Lord, but just saying it in the privacy of your prayer closet, just saying, Lord, I need you. I don't want to be ruled by this. Um, can you help me? And and he can and he will. I'm not making a, a like a medical diagnosis here. That's not what I'm doing. But, you know, I mean, we talked about peace today. Peace. Yeah. Jesus said, I, I come to bring you peace, not like the world gives. You know, it's a real thing. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus, Paul writes in Philippians. You know, that's either true or it's not. 
And um, what I would say is pray to the Lord and, and, and he will meet you. It's what he does. I know for me, I have to choose my focus. Yes, you know, so if I'm true. looking at my situation and whatever it is that's giving me anxiety, that's when I'm just like, oh, my gosh. And then I'm like, well, <laughs> wait a second. <laughs> no, that's not where my focus needs to be. And whether it's spending time in prayer, cutting off everything and just completely spending time with him or worship songs are so powerful to me. There have been yes. so many songs that I'm like here and by the end of the song I'm like oh my gosh like it just you know changes my heart and mind so quickly so just you know focusing your mind on things that get you away from that and your eyes back on the Lord and you know whatever that is for you giving yourself you know the best chance to experience that peace by doing just that you're going to the Lord you're staying in the word of God like really with your heart not just you know outwardly but really in your heart you're meeting with the lord and asking him crying out and you're and you're staying away from those things that you know uh we use the word trigger right those things that make you anxious those things that are like oh no like melissa was talking about and and focusing it's not just a taking away of a thing though it's filling it in then right it's taking out that thing that's stressing me out and making me feel really out of control and anxious and preoccupied and um unhealthy and then bringing in the word of the Lord and bringing in the promises of the Lord. And I was going to say the same thing. Turn, you're talking about in your home, too. Have worship playing. Yeah. Turn on Equip FM. Yeah. <laughs> Turn on, you know, worship that's going to draw your heart to the Lord. You know, there's a psalm where David was talking about all of these things he was going through. And, and, and this really an anxiety-filled psalm. And then he says, and then he said, I was like a beast before you. Then I went into the house of the Lord, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And it's like when I get in the presence of the Lord, he corrects me because some of us have that natural bent towards anxiety, towards anxious thoughts, towards that feeling of stress. And he's like, oh, but when I went into the presence of the Lord, I was corrected. Yeah. I saw their end. I knew what was going to happen yeah. with this stuff that was freaking me out. And But when I was in the presence of the Lord, I was, I was fixed, really, is the way I like to look yeah. at it. He corrects that. He brings in his peace. And so it's a it's a taking out, a removal. Stop going online. Stop watching all of that news. Stop talking to that person that is going through that stress that yep. you yeah. can't control or change or even impact because they're not listening to your wisdom. Just, you know, stop yeah. that and then uh, fill in with the word and the presence. That's right. Yeah. I think you got it. What, what are you going to allow mm-hmm. to come into your mind? Obviously, we have to know some things, right? We, the things that cause us um, anxiety. Um, and there's a question that's very closely related to this. It says, as a believer, I know God gives us peace. But right now, I'm freaking out about our current situation. I don't have peace. I fear what God may allow in my life. Help me with this. So you, 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 we all have to know what's happening. But we don't have to know all day long what's happening. And you can listen and you can watch all day long um, the news or the media feeds or, you know, you know, social media, or I can just ponder it all day long. And so I have to choose to focus upon what is good and lovely of a good report, right? um, Philippians chapter four um, talks about this, six, seven, eight, nine. I've got to, what am I going to put into my mind and what am I going to think about? And to the, to the brother or sister or many brothers and sisters who are just freaking out, listen, this is what I would say. Fear not. The Lord says, fear not. We don't know. I have also thought 
you know, okay, if everybody loses their job, and then if everybody loses their job, then, you know, um, what are we going to do? Am I going to lose my house? Are we going to have all these things? We're in the middle of a building project. Um, you know, there's many levels of which I have thought through through this. We have a radio station. We have a building project. We have staff. We have, I've thought through these things, and then my own family. And, and so um, those are thoughts that I've had. Is there anything I need to do, Lord, to... Uh, plan and prepare. I think you could spend less right now. That's a really good, wise thing to do. I think to try and, and save money would be a really good thing if you haven't been doing that already um, to do. And if you don't have the ability to do that, don't, don't freak out. Because if the Lord allows it to come into your life, he will show himself strong. All of our favorite miracles have stress and anxiety in the front end. The Egyptians are about to kill us the sea parts, and we walk through on dry ground. Now they're coming after us, and then it closes. Every miracle has anxiety and stress and uncertainty on the front end, but then God shows himself strong. So this is what I've, I've thought through. So if everything goes sideways, if the world shuts down, if the economy completely collapses, and everything that we have known is completely different, then I'm going to have to, Troy Warner is going to have to learn to trust in the Lord and see God show up in ways that I have not seen him show up in my past. But other people are right now around the world. Other generations have had to do this. And so if God allows these things to come, we will stand with each other, right? We're going to support each other. We're going to love each other. And we're going to call upon God and we're going to see how God will use these extremities as his opportunity. And so don't freak out. Yeah. Jason does a great job of journaling, and he has, I mean, years and years of hey, can journals. Can we, read them? Can we post them online and read them all? <laughs> yeah, um, I'll do that tomorrow. And I just think it's been so helpful for him and for us at times for him to, to open one and say, mm. this is what we were going through at this time, but this is yes. also how the Lord showed up in this situation. Yes. So just to kind of be like, I don't know how we tend to forget that the Lord shows up and gets us through things, but we do. So, you know, how do you maybe journal that and start something to say, hey, this is what I was struggling with, but then also put the answer in there. But, you know, even aside from that, like, this is the best journal ever, too. Like, how did the Lord show up so many ways and take people through things? So, And it's the presence of the Lord that calms you. It's the he says, fear not. Why does he say fear not? He goes, because I'm with you. Not because necessarily yeah. it's all going to change or it's all going to go away, but because I am with you. It's the presence of the Lord. It's the relationship that we have with our God that helps us, that strengthens us, that steadies us, that gives us a foundation. You know, we, you know, the wise man built his house upon the rock, right? The rock mm. is Christ. When the storm came, doesn't say if a storm came, when it came, right? right? They were able to stand because it, the house was built on the rock. Our lives are built on Christ. And when the storm comes, Jesus said, you know what? In this world, you're going to have what? Tribulation. Tribulation. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. This isn't our home forever. This is just a temporary place. And God wants to show himself strong in our lives. And so when we go through, as it says in the Old Testament, when you go through the fire, I'm going to be with you. When the water, you go through the water, right? The water rises. feel like you're about to go under. Don't fear because I'm going to be with you. It's the presence of the Lord. You yeah. know, it's who he is. That's the difference. And maker. That's the difference in, the, yeah. in going through all of that stuff. Because, again, we talked about this last week. I think we're all going through the same thing, you know, and so we can experience that together. And we can all know that, hey, the difference 
is the fact that it's the presence of the Lord with us in it. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to end now, but there is one last question from um, 11-year-old Nora, who was wanting to start a Bible study for unbelievers. What books and chapters would you recommend? I think going through the Gospel of Mark is great because it's a shorter, more concise uh, statement of what Jesus did. So I would say, Nora, why don't you start reading through the Gospel of Mark and beginning to ask some questions. And I tell you what, we also will try and put some stuff together that will help to answer that question. So look by midweek for us to have some stuff out there that will help you have a Bible study with unbelievers. Again, thanks for your questions, you guys. There's others that we didn't get to that we like last week. We'll try and record some answers to. But the Lord bless you. We'll see you tonight at 6 o'clock. Sign up on the communications group. Go to cclberg.com slash stay connected to communications so you can get the link to be a part of tonight's prayer meeting. Let's just get hundreds of people involved in this. And let's just um, let's call out upon the Lord. God bless you guys. Have a great day.